If you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is. That's a straw, you see. Watch it. My straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. Welcome, everybody, to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. I'm Nick Moffat. I'm here with Derek Deal. Hello. And Brandon Bowlby. Hey, guys. So uh, this is kind of the start of our new season where we'll be doing a episode every month, putting out short reviews on some movies, but then doing three full-length reviews on some of the bigger movies that we're more interested in. This one will be going over the last three months because our movie season is just starting. Even though it's March, we're doing January, February, and March. I think we talked about that in our last episode, our top 10 episode. Right, guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just getting started on our new podcast, The Monthly Movie Dispatch. How's how's the year going so far for you guys? It's 2018. How's your movie lives going? Brandon, I know you're into something right now. Um, yeah, I've started a side project, not just watching new movies, but I'm going through uh, Tarkovsky's filmography. Right now, I am three short films and three features deep into his um, seven feature filmography. It's really fascinating. He's a Russian director through the 50s to the 70s and starting to get into his like prime films coming up with Stalker and Mir. So I'm really excited for the last few to come. Um, Also, yeah, it's been a good season so far. I've seen about seven movies in 2018. Nice. Um, Derek, what about you? What have you been up to? Not much. Just been, I got movie pass starting this year. So it's been a little more of a reason for me to actually get out and go see what's playing. One thing it, I, mean, I didn't quite, um, like I didn't predict it having this effect on me, which was making me feel like I need to go to the movies because I got to make sure I get my money's worth. And so, um, <laughs> I've been both me and Christina have been going, we've seen six movies already this year and, uh, yeah, it's going good. Nice. Yeah, um, I'm in the middle of my spring cleaning movie project where I take every movie off my shelf that I haven't seen and do short reviews of each one of them. I have them on YouTube. You can look me up on Nicholas Moffat. I've got a channel up there. Um, I also link it on my Twitter page. But um, that's a fun way for me to see a lot of the movies from the past. I got a lot of VHS tapes that I have just not seen. And it's not just VHS. I got DVDs as well. But, yeah, it's like a lot of bad movies like uh, Superman 4 was one that I watched recently and man that was that was like by far the worst comic movie I've ever seen like <laughs> I've I've heard it's rough like it is ridiculous I don't really want to get into it here because I've got a whole YouTube episode about it but man that movie is just like bonkers bad and not even in a fun way like people complain about Batman and Robin and at least that movie makes sense this has a bad guy whose superpowers are radioactive fingernails. What? So, um, and what's your favorite so far? Oh, I don't know. Um, I watched The Big Heat uh, earlier this week. I haven't actually put an episode out for that one yet, but that was a film noir that I was really into. Oh, I thought you said The Big Sleep. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, that that that's also a film noir that um, is actually also uh, actually that's on that's coming up. I have that on my. <laughs> I have that on DVD. I haven't seen it yet, but um, 
yeah, so both those are great, but uh, Run Lola Run is another one I watched and just like fell in love with. That oh, movie nice. is really, really good. Anyway, so uh, just to kick off this episode, like I said, we're going to be doing short reviews on like five or six or seven movies, and then uh, we're going to be doing three long format reviews on the bigger ones that have come out. I'll just tell you, those are Black Panther, Game Night, and Annihilation are the big three. And so just uh, to kick us off on the short reviews, we're going to go with Derek at the, the Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, God. Well... So this movie was released directly onto Netflix a uh, half hour after the Super Bowl. Um, they, I think they announced it during the Super Bowl that it was coming out. It's basically is kind of a shoehorned in uh, third film in the Clover, Cloverfield franchise. But God, it was it was one of the worst movies I've seen in years. I feel like I really the, I really did not enjoy almost any amount of the movie. I liked it had some pretty interesting sci-fi concepts, but overall, but it was one of the least enjoyable movies I've seen the last year or so. If it wasn't for it being a Cloverfield film, this would be have been such a skippable, easy skippable movie for me. But it roped me in because the first two I'm a big fan of. And this really is like one of those terrible movies I would never have seen and would usually just avoid and not worry too much about. So it really sucked that I had to sit there for two hours and go through this paradox film. Yeah. I mean, the Cloverfield thing is really great because they have the opportunity to do individual sci-fi movies and keep them separate, but also in the same kind of realm of almost pulpiness. Um, This one, this one's big problem, in my opinion, was that it was, it was trying, it took a bunch of concepts and tried to put them all together and just none of them really fit. And it also had like implications of the greater, greater Cloverfield universe that were problematic and just like kind of upsetting, but yeah, not a good movie. <laughs> so that was a uh, Cloverfield paradox that's available now on Netflix. So, uh, Brandon, what's the next movie? Um, so I saw red sparrow and actually liked it quite a bit. Uh, This is a Russian spy thriller. It's directed by Francis Lawrence, who uh, he did Constantine and I Am Legend, which were both pretty interesting, entertaining films. And then more recently, he did the last three Hunger Games movies, which um, he did a decent job on. I actually liked the second Hunger Games a lot. So going into this movie, I was curious what he would do with, um, you know, original concept and not doing a franchise. Starring Jennifer Lawrence and Joel Edgerton, and I had a really good time with this movie. It's pretty long and very serious, but to me, it was a well-made, in-depth look at the spy genre, and there was moments of like great brutality that were really intense, and I kind of got into the characters and the relationship between the two and the cast. Cool. Um, I saw this movie as well. Brandon's a lot higher on it than I was. I I really didn't like this movie that much. I just thought it was just I just thought it missed the mark on a lot of in a lot of ways and was pretty boring and way too long. But um, you know I I don't really want to get too far into it. But yeah, um, that's Red Sparrow. That's still in theaters right now. Uh, the next film we're gonna talk about is When We First Met. 
it's a time traveling comedy. It's a Netflix original film. Um, it stars Adam Devine and Alexandra Daddario. I turned this on because I'm pretty interested in time travel movies. And um, this movie I, I really didn't like. It's uh, basically the concept is this guy met a girl and um, he's been in love with her for three years. And he he just regrets that he was friend zoned the first day that they hung out. And so he he finds a tri- time travel machine and goes back in time to try to recreate the first day that they hung out so that he wouldn't be friend zoned. And um, it's a pretty gross concept, if you ask me, like um, and they don't really they don't really get away from it being kind of gross. I mean, the the moral of it isn't, you know, kind of ends on like a better tone than than like, hey, you can manipulate someone into loving you. It kind of moves away from that, but it's still it doesn't really shake the tone of that. Yeah. When we first met is on Netflix. Not a fan. Sounds like Groundhog's Day. Yeah, except Groundhog's Day is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard of that, um, but I guess I won't be watching it based off your recommendation. Yeah, no, that's going to be a tough one for the worst movie of the year for me, I think. <laughs> wow. So, Derek, I think you're next. All right, uh, the next movie is uh, Thoroughbreds, directed by Corey Finley, starring Anya Taylor-Joy, and this was Anton Yelchin's last film. Yeah, I thought it was all right. It's kind of a thriller. I know Nick, you thought it was more of like a comedy. I didn't. I thought I don't know. It's one of those movies that like has such a gray tone, and um, the characters are so emotionless for the most part. So it's hard for me. I just didn't really get that into it. It was hard for me to really enjoy any specific piece of it. But I thought it was well made. Uh, like you know, well shot. It looked great, and the performances were were fine. It was just the story just didn't. I don't know. It didn't didn't really click for me. Yeah, I I, I saw this movie too. I I'm I'm with you. Like I thought it was I thought it was very well made, and the performances were really great, and they were doing something interesting and having characters who really didn't feel anything. And this movie gets a lot of uh, comparisons to Heather's. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, Heather's is clearly more fun and clearly more of a satire, but, um, and I still think this one is a satire on some level and a comedy on some level too. But for me, the big thing was that the ending, the ending didn't come together for me. Like the movie set up a bunch of pieces and then they didn't connect. I would have maybe appreciated it being a little longer. So maybe, maybe things would have connected better, but it just kind of left me, left me flat. I am curious, how did Anton Yelchin do? Like, he made a pretty big impact, even being a minor character in Star Trek. And, of course, Green Room, he was amazing. Yeah, it's sad it's his last film ever. But, yeah, how was his performance? He was good. Yeah, no, he was definitely really good in it. Really, it's it's a real big bummer that he passed away at such a young age, because I think he could have had a much... He could have had a you know a great life and a great career. So, mm-hmm. so that was Thoroughbreds. That should still be in the theater now. Brian, I think you're next. So another film I saw this year was The Death of Stalin. Um, it's a satirical, dark comedy. It's by the uh, the director, also created the show Veep on HBO. So it does play off a lot of that same humor. 
Uh, this film is like totally strange for a comedy. Like it is dealing with the darkest subject matter. Like you're literally watching genocide happen in some scenes and shots and then cracking up at the absurdity of these characters the next moment. And I've never seen a movie smash those two extremes together more than the death of Stalin. Um, it's also just like really well paced. The humor is smart and I really recommend this. It's, it's pretty brilliant for what they're trying to go for. That's awesome. That's a movie that I definitely want to see. It's on my list. Yeah. That cast is crazy. Yeah. It's like no, no like massive names, but like everybody that pops up in it, you like have seen and know of. It's kind of like a lot of big side character actors getting like moments to shine. Yeah. Cool. So that was the death of Stalin. That's still in theaters right now. Um, I wanted to bring up a futile and stupid gesture. It's a biopic comedy directed by David Wayne, who also did Wet Hot American Summer and Role Models and a few other comedy projects. Um, it stars Will Forte, Dom Hall Gleason, and this movie is basically a biopic about National Lampoons. Um, basically, it goes over how it started as a magazine and how they transitioned to film and basically the ups and downs of maintaining and sustaining like a comedy troupe enterprise. Um, it's pretty great. Um, there's some really fun casting choices like John Daly is Bill Murray. Joel McHale is Chevy Chase. Seth Green is Christopher Guest. And, you know, they like they play with like you knowing that, you know, those aren't the real people like these people are still alive. You, they play with that concept. Um, it's, it's a pretty fun movie. Um, my problem with it is that it's it, they play it a little straight for such a comedy biopic you know it's just like it it has its funny moments but its overall tone is fairly regular biopic kind of stuff um it's worthwhile to watch because it's free on netflix i'd recommend it if you're looking for like a you know if you're interested in the subject matter because it's definitely uh it's definitely interesting it's just not like a home run this is one of those things where like the fact that it's on netflix you know being distributed through there it's probably the reason why I will watch it. If it was kind of anywhere else in theaters or up for, had to pay for rental, I don't know if I would, but yeah, this will be a good watch. I'm interested about it. Same. Yeah, like you don't have to pay for this. It's, it's uh, just, I mean, unless you don't have Netflix, but yeah, you can just go on Netflix tonight and just watch it. It's only like an hour and a half long. It's pretty easy to watch. There's definitely like enough worthwhile people in it to make it a fun watch. So that was A Feudal and Stupid Gesture. It's available on Netflix right now. Brandon, I think you're next. So another movie I watched is Love, Simon. I actually saw this last night. Um, this is a high school coming-of-age film. I was actually not looking forward to this movie at all. I'd been seeing trailers for it for months now in theaters, and the trailers looked bad, looked so forced and like really cheesy coming-out high school movie. Um, but when the reviews started going, Derek, you told me to go see it as well. Like this movie is great. And surprisingly, it's super genuine. They don't phone it in, in the end when everything is kind of like climaxing and it's fun and it's funny. It's well-paced. I, I really got into the style of the movie and the trick they kind of do with who his boyfriend is. It's hard to explain without spoilers, but there is some creativity they do in the storyline and how things are revealed 
um, that I haven't really seen before. And it's a really, it's a really great film. Yeah. And I saw this too. And, um, it, to me, I felt like the film's greatest strength was just how genuine it was. Like it, it didn't really go out of its way to be super artistic or anything like that, but just everything's like felt really natural. And, um, yeah, like you said, like when it came to the climax, they, they I felt like they nailed it. It's something that I think they could have easily dropped the ball on and had like kind of a cheesy moment, but um, yeah, they pulled it off. Well, that that's really cool. Um, I I saw the trailer for, trailer for that and thought it looked terrible. <laughs> so uh, and then yeah, like opening weekend, I saw that it was getting great reviews. So it's really cool hearing that you guys liked it so much. Um, I don't know if I'll see in the theater, but um, I definitely and now now I will see it though. So yeah, I'd say a must see movie for the year, um, but not necessarily a theater movie. That was Love Simon. It's still in theaters right now. So now we're gonna move on to our featured reviews. The first being Black Panther. So this film was directed by Ryan Coogler. It's the newest installment in the MCU. Derek, what are your first impressions? Um, first impression, if you were to tell me that this film was going to be one of the biggest movies ever made, I would have said you're insane. <laughs> but here we are a couple of weeks later, and it is one of the biggest films ever made. It's the highest grossing comic book movie of all time domestically, and uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. But as far as the movie goes, I actually just... I love this movie. I really had no expectations going into it. It's my first Ryan Coogler movie. You know, I know that people love him and he's everything he does is great. But um, any shortcomings that Marvel tends to have in their films, this movie somehow avoided all of them. The villain, it's the best villain, hands down. I can easily say it's the best villain in the MCU so far. And just the world of Wakanda and how they showed it as like this complete character in the film. It's really fascinating. The whole movie. I just, yeah, I love it. I have no, nothing bad to say about this film. Awesome. Um, Brandon, what about you? I'm, I mean, I have a few bad things to say about the movie. I did not like it as much as you guys did. I was pretty happy with it and I had a good time, like especially the villain and even the conflict with the hero was one of the most interesting Marvel has done so far. And so what was behind the characters was really well done and pretty impressive. And I hope they take this going forward and give their leads and villains more depth in the future. But I mean, there was a couple things that like really got to me. I was pretty sad about the like CGI in this movie. It looked really cheap. And maybe that was because like Disney wasn't expecting this to be a massive success since it was like character people didn't really know, you know, this isn't an established series yet. And it, it looked cheap on so many parts, uh, which was really unfortunate because this movie had like more green screen than most of the regular Marvel films. On top of that, I also was kind of let down by the action in the movie, especially from, uh, with Creed and how like amazing he did in the ring with the, with those boxing scenes. And I kind of like expected a little bit more and they got 
they got that going in the the fight scene in South Korea, but it really the action didn't play out in the climax, and it was kind of disappointing. I don't want to be a big bummer on this movie. I was hoping <laughs> I'd go last, but yeah, those those were my you know it's like it's supposed to be a action film, and it failed on that front. It's supposed to be a big spectacle, and it failed on the CGI for me. Um, but I do really respect it for its its writing and the characters for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely liked it more than you, Brandon, probably not as much as Derek, but yeah, I mean, I have it up there in the upper echelon of Marvel movies. I I didn't have a problem with the action. You know, I thought the action was really good. Um, you know, there was that big chase sequence in, in Korea, like in the cars and, I thought that was, like, really great. I mean, you know, it's over the top. It's ridiculous. Like, cars are, like, literally, like, flipping midair. But uh, I was, like, really into that chase scene. I really liked the one-on-one battles that they had, like, at the waterfall. I thought those were really well done. And, yeah, I mean, I guess the... I guess the... um, The big climax, where there was a lot of action going on you know, it was one of those, to me, like, kind of a, a typical, you know, uh, action movie type, you know, comic book, uh, big blockbuster sort of uh, action scene where there's a lot of action going on all at once. And I, I thought they did a great do- great job balancing it. Like, there was enough character work there that had me interested in all the action that was happening. I don't know, there was just, there was enough going on that kept me, kept me interested and invested. And, um really the big part for me was that the big, you know, the big ending did come down to two guys just punching each other the hardest, but there was really emotional stakes to it, you know, and the ending, there was a difference that was made for the characters. Like, uh, T'Challa is going to be a different person than he was at the beginning of the movie because of the bad guy that he faced. That was compelling stuff for me. I'm with you, Derek. Uh, Michael B. Jordan definitely delivered the best bad guy of the MCU. Um, I mean, Loki's up there for sure, but Loki has kind of become an anti-hero. He's kind of a fun guy to root for. But um, How about uh, Homecoming? That would be another one, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, those are are the three. And, and, you know, that's actually like one of the, you know, people talk about the... People talk about the problems what? of MCU. <laughs> what? Why did you say Willem Dafoe? Well, he's the first. Spider-Man. Oh no! <laughs> Wait. You're thinking of, you're thinking oh, of Michael uh, Keaton. Michael Keaton. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wrong decade. Wrong Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, but, um, yeah, like, you know, so I mean, Derek, I'm kind of curious. Like, where does Black Panther stack for you against other MCU movies? Well, I put it as my number two in the MCU. Uh, so oh, wow. Civil War being my favorite, and this was easily my second favorite. Easily. Easily. You like there's a gap after this one? No. I mean, Winter Soldier's right there, too, but then there's a gap, and then, yeah. Nice. I had it at number five, but, like, for me, that's that's that's... That's really good. Like yeah. I've got S- Civil War, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first Avengers, and We're a Soldier in front of it. Yeah. But like, you know, Black Panther. Like I have that in front of the original Iron Man and all the other ones. I don't right. Know, like, 
I don't have a full list for it, but I will say, I mean, call me crazy, but I think it was not as good as any of the three that came out in 2017. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, Gardens of Galaxy 2, and Doctor Strange. Um, not crazy far below it, but but below those three. Yeah, so you thought you thought Doctor Strange was better as well. I think so, and it's mostly because the climax was like was so good. I think you met Thor me. Ragnarok, right? Well, I think he met Doctor Strange, but Doctor Strange came out a year before. Yeah, uh, um, like I mean, Brand, like, have you seen the other Ryan Coogler films? Like, like. Oh yeah, Fruitvale Station. Um, he he is such a good director, and he's promised himself over and over again. Um, I hope he doesn't just jump straight into black panther 2 it'd be awesome to see like god if he did like bounce back and forth between like creed and black panther and making super like great small indies like it's just really exciting for him yeah um i kind of feel like you know with with marvel being such a huge machine in and of itself and you know it being in the disney machine sometimes directors come and go and we kind of have to see how they fit into the machine. Um, I kind of feel like Ryan Coogler took some of his intensity and brought it to, to Black Panther. And I kind of feel like that's one of the things that made it so successful. You know, Fruitvale Station was very much like a social justice movie and Black Panther was kind of representative of the black culture. And I think that's partly what made it so successful. Um, yeah, I think it like it takes its chances and you know it's not it doesn't shy away from being bold uh in statements and just like visually and I think that's part of yeah people are really responding well to it as opposed to um backing away from that kind of thing, you know. You said that he brought his like intensity to the directing. There was that one scene that always stands out in my head when I think about Black Panther. I don't think people talk about it enough. It's when um, the second tier villain is trying to like take off in the helicopter, like parking lot. Oh yeah. Um, and he kind of turns on everybody. It's like it's really brutal for like thirty seconds there, and I like kind of gasped that that was in a Marvel movie. Yeah, um, but I, I like loved that moment. I actually feel like this was a little more like violent marvel movies like uh just for that kind of thing that you're talking about it didn't have like as much combat and overall violence as winter soldier or civil war but the like the brutality and like how personal that violence is in this movie is a lot more uh, shocking and especially to see in a marvel movie yeah does somebody want to mention the rhinos or are we going to skip over that what about the rhinos i didn't have any problem with the rhinos <laughs> no they're fine nick what's your opinion on the rhinos i i don't have an opinion on the rhinos I don't really <laughs> okay all right all right brandon has a very strong opinion about the rhinos are they like is the cg really bad or something i really don't know what you're talking <laughs> it about was, it was <laughs> I just remember like the setup of the rhinos when they introduce like the village and then like feeding them. Wait, the rhinos then, were like the Chekhov's gun of Black Panther. Yeah, they like 
I was like, why did they show rhinos? Those have to come into play. And then they, and then they, um, like deus ex machina, like literally came in right at the perfect moment. And they're so ridiculous and CGI and cheap. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of, I chuckled when that was happening. Word. Uh, so that was Black Panther. That is still in the theater. Um, you can catch that at your local Cineplex. So the next movie we wanted to talk about was Game Night. Game Night uh, stars Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. The plot from IMDb is a group of friends who meet regularly for game nights find themselves entangled in a real-life mystery. So I thought this movie was so much better than it ever should have been. Like I, I was kind of late to the party on this one. I didn't see it for a few weeks um, after it came out, like I just saw it this last weekend and I saw that it was getting great buzz and it was like, what's the fuss about this movie? It just looks like a typical comedy where something over the top, big concept is happening. Um, and after seeing it, it's like, it's, it's, it's basically like David Fincher's the game except freaking hilarious. Uh, the cast is on fire. Like there's um, so many good jokes that the comedy is just like on point and smart. And there's like, there's so many like reoccurring jokes that happen that just make me laugh so hard. It's just like, it's just like I saw it on Friday night and it was like the perfect movie to see after a long, long week of, of work. And just, I don't know. I just totally loved this movie. It was just uh, a great time at the theater. Derek, do you have any uh, initial thoughts about Game Night? Yeah. I mean, like you, I didn't really have many expectations. I just knew I liked the actors in it. But I thought it was going to be like, uh, there's this weird trend of movies coming out that are just like names of things. And they just make a movie out of it. Like they had like Office Christmas Party. It was another Jason Bateman comedy. Right. And I never saw it, but it didn't get very good reviews. And so I kind of expected this was kind of the same thing. Like maybe it made some good money. So like, oh, what other fun sayings can we turn into movies? Like, oh, game night. Yeah. But it wasn't that at all. Like you said, it was much more like Fincher-esque, but straight comedy played for laughs. And um, what what I really appreciated about it Besides the fact that I think all the jokes landed really well, all the, the cast was really great, there's something to be said about a comedy that is willing to take visual risks with its style and its camera work. And, oh, that's so true. Oh, yeah. And, and it's, if they can pull it off. And I think, like, I think back to, like, The Hangover, I think that was part of why that movie had, like, landed with such a bang and had such a big draw at least the first one, was that they filmed it like a thriller. They didn't film it like a comedy at all. And I feel like they kind of did the same thing with this movie. And they took some interesting risks. Uh, Not everything looked amazing, but it was interesting enough for me to be like really on their side throughout the whole time, the whole film. And uh, it just really rooting for this strange comedy to like (laughs) work. And it totally did. 
Yeah, so, so I saw it with Shannon and my roommate Greg. The first thing Greg said to me after the movie was the camera work in that movie was amazing. Like, he pointed out that they did this shot where the, the there's a scene towards the end where uh, a car is following an airplane and it, it was just it was just a really interesting shot like that that whole sequence was shot in a really interesting unique way that most comedies aren't ever shot in such like greg was like i've never seen i'd never seen a chase sequence like that before and it's like crazy that someone would say that after after a kind of a you know a silly comedy Right. Yeah. I remember the like really cool like establishing shots they would do with like really shallow focus on the whole neighborhood. Yeah. Those looked really awesome. Right. Um, I even remember like when they jumped in the car right when one of the chases was kind of starting um, when they were breaking out of the first place. They did the typical like attach the camera to the door as it's closing. Mm-hmm. But then once they did that, they put an extra like movement in it and like staging of the actors within that door closing and i was like oh they know what they're doing like right when i saw that it like clicked with me in the whole like the faberge egg scene like where they tried they tried to do the whole like one shot oh forgot about that oh my god that was great yeah. that was so well done so brandon what, what did you think about this movie yeah i i liked it a lot and with you guys i was kind of cautious with an r-rated comedy i don't know i've guess i've been let down and i'm usually not too into them but when i was seeing the trailers i was kind of getting curious about it and i had the best time watching this like the story is so smart and there's so many like good roles in this movie have we mentioned uh jesse plemons jesse plemons is so good i got <laughs> Jesse Plemons he, is by like, far my favorite part of this movie. He was yeah, so he steals the show. I've been he quoting him show. all week. Like just, <laughs> just I, I just keep thinking about his face. Just him standing there on his lawn, petting his dog, asking slowly about when the next game night is, and they're just trying to get out of it. And, and then as the movie goes on, you just see that he's just such a sad, lonely, noble character. <laughs> Yeah. I, yeah, I love the way from like the first time you see him, how they continue writing him like in and out of the story and he never goes away. And like his role is so important. Like it's it's really clever. Yeah, he's great. I think that's like the one thing I hear from everyone that's seen this movie is that <laughs> he's like everyone's favorite. Probably be one of those characters for the whole year, you know, that people are just like loving over. Right. I'm just sitting over here laughing, thinking about that scene with how <laughs> he's like the the potato chips where he's like, I see you have three bags of Fritos and scoops. Why do you have three bags? And they're like just trying to get out of it. Oh, I'm sorry, I was just <laughs> I think if this movie like for high schoolers, I can imagine them getting like obsessed with this movie. Like around that time when you're like when you rewatch things and rewatch things, like this could be, you know, like the Napoleon Dynamite, or I could see it really like catching on for the next several years in that kind of regard. Yeah, at the same time though, it's very it's a very adult movie though. Like it's it's for adults that are like they're doing game night. Like it's for people our age who like aren't going to the bars anymore. They're doing game night, so it's. 
I don't know. Uh, I I I, I just appreciate seeing a movie like that, like how funny and original it is for like this kind of age group of like, yeah, we don't really get crazy anymore, but uh, sometimes game night can get crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I also really liked um, the way they played with the concept in the last third of the film. Like the whole, am I expecting a twist to come? which is kind of the basis of the movie um, plays out in like an awesome way. And it goes back and forth and they trick you in appropriate ways. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, it's like, it's so well done at the end. And I love how they turn it into like the butt of the joke in the movie. I like how they, I like how we're on the same page as the characters the whole time. We're like, we're expecting a twist because that's the world that they live in and they're expecting a twist and we're right on the same page as them. And so as the twists are coming, we're kind of second-guessing them and going along with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, well, there's one, my one little, like, nitpick about the movie is I wish we were, um, we were second-guessing the concept for a little bit longer. And it's fine that they didn't keep it until the very end, but I wish it maybe was, like, halfway through the film. Like, I still would have been going back and forth on, is it a game? Is it real? Sure. Um... I think they gave that up a few scenes too early. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, and just based off the concept that it's a comedy and stuff, like you you kind of come to that conclusion, I think, naturally. But they still found a way to keep a mystery, you know, going all the way to the end. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to Rachel McAdams because she's awesome. Okay. So let's move on to Annihilation. That's our final film for this month. Uh, The plot summary is a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply. Um, Brandon, do you want to give us the first rundown on Annihilation? Uh, Yeah, Uh, this film is directed by Alex Garland, who recently did the awesome film Ex Machina, which I was a huge fan of. So I was really looking forward to this movie, except for the trailers were giving me kind of cringy vibes. I think they marketed this super strangely but what you got out of this is like a really smart sci-fi film that we hardly see anymore besides arrival which was also amazing but um i wish this was more common because i loved this movie so much this is going to be like one of my favorite movies of the year um alex garland brings like such a good vision and style to this movie when I think about the movie as a whole with his coloring and his set design, like there's nothing else like it. And he really like wrapped this movie in um, its own frame and really separated itself. And I respect that a lot out of this movie. Um, The sci-fi concept that's like slowly revealed throughout the movie is really great and interesting and leads to like one of the best climaxes and best designed climaxes I've seen. Um, it was like jaw dropping at parts and I think it'll go down by the end of the year as having one of the most terrifying things in cinema in 2018, which was, uh, the bear scene. Of course, if you've seen it, the, the crazy bear scene, scene. there's a name for that bear already. I can't think what it's called. Jesus Christ. (laughs) So yeah, this movie is awesome. Looking at the movie as a whole, looking back at it, it feels like, one of those uh, crazy like sci-fi classics that have 
the most unique perspective and just explores such a crazy concept. You know, it's one of those movies that like nothing else that I know of explores an idea like this and especially not in the approach and like you're saying like that climax is so incredible and so easy to fuck up i feel like Mm -hmm. like that it's so easy to get lost in what's happening there and somehow it doesn't spell anything out for you but at the same time you don't you're not completely left in the dark on what's happening yeah, I agree. I don't see any reason why this movie won't hold up throughout the year. It's one of the best movies of the year. I think he is a extraordinary director that has one of the most unique voices out there right now. And he's doing his own thing, which is cool. It's really exciting. Can't wait to see what he does next. I will say, like for people who haven't heard of the movie or uh, don't know why with its amazing buzz why it's not performing that well is it also has a really weird political situation with paramount and netflix and stuff a quick rundown was basically from what i understand paramount wanted to change the ending of the film alex garland said uh no you know paramount thought it was too confusing and would leave audiences with a bad taste in their mouth Part of me thinks that part of that is because of Mother, too. Like, I think they felt maybe burned a little bit on taking a chance on Mother, and so they didn't want him to have such a crazy ending. He, you know, stood his ground and his producers backed him, and so Paramount pulled their uh, marketing budget for it and sold the rest of the rights to Netflix, so. Yeah, so... So everywhere besides um, the United States and Canada, I believe, it's on Netflix streaming and not in theaters. So we're pretty lucky to be able to go to the big screen and see it here in the States. And I've been, everyone I've recommended this movie to, told you have to see it in theaters because I like, and I say that about a lot of movies, but probably this one more than any, I don't think you're going to have even similar experience watching it at home unless you have really loud speakers and I don't know, like it's so important for you to be in a room with strangers and this movie blasting in your face at times, (laughs) like in order to get the full effect of it. That score Um, and sound, um, especially at the end, you need that score blasting in your eardrums for it to like hit you that hard. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Yeah. Annihilation is amazing. Have you guys seen his other movies? Like, how do you think it compares to, like, Ex Machina and Dread? And uh, I don't know if you heard that story about Dread that came out recently, but, like, uh, officially he did Ex Machina and Annihilation. But apparently the people who worked on Dread, they came out a few weeks ago and said, hey, the director of Dread wasn't really there, like, ever. Alex Garland pretty much directed Dread. And, uh, he, I mean, he's credited for writing it and helping produce it, but yeah, apparently he unofficially did dread and then he did like, he wrote 20 days later and sunshine and the beach, a few other, uh, Danny Boyle movies. Like, you know, I think this guy's on like a pretty crazy career trajectory at this point. You know, he started writing novels and then he started writing movies for Danny Boyle and I mean, shit, he's got two of the best sci-fi movies of the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah, totally. I actually didn't know that about his history. No, I didn't even know he wrote for Danny Boyle. 
um, no wonder he's so good at writing these scripts that he's directing. Yeah, they were a duo for a long time. I've, he's one of the few writers that I've just incidentally seen all of his movies. I like anywhere from like to like adore all of his films. But fun fact, he did. He also wrote the uh, Halo script that was sold for uh, to Peter Jackson for Neil Blomkamp to direct. That ended up not happening. Oh God, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that was when they and then they switched to make District Nine instead. Which was I'll uh, forgive him. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, he's 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 great. So I've seen the Annihilation twice now. The first time, I I definitely liked it, but I wasn't like as sure about it. I kind of had mixed feelings about it, and then I saw it again. And I liked it a lot more the second time. Like after a second viewing, I was able to see things come together a, a lot easier. And I saw a lot of the symbolism that they're trying to go for. And obviously symbolism is subjective. Like, I feel like the movie had a lot of things to say about depression and uh, changing, like, oneself. While still, like, mixing itself up with sci-fi concepts and, you know, pseudoscience. And, but, um, yeah, just the second viewing, it, I was able to really see how expansive the film was. And how beautiful and tragic it was. Like, and that was, that was part of my thing was I couldn't tell at the end of it if it was supposed to be like sad or uplifting. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think I've wrapped my head around the ending, um, pretty well. I think I know what happens. Um, not that I can talk about it here, but I, I, I'm guessing Nick, you're kind of talking about the, um, like side story that was going on with the, with the cheating throughout the movie well, and the flashbacks like that well, was um that was really interesting to me but i kind of when i was watching that i was like this looks really great and seems very intimate but like i can't even handle this side story right now i'm sure <laughs> i'll i'll diagnose this on my rewatch but totally like but like and, I yeah think so all that, that is... i think he plants that in there to make the movie last and have like those kind of legs for fans that want to go back and dive deeper well and i think i think all of that is very key to the symbolism of the movie though because each of the characters that goes into the shimmer they're pretty much going on a suicide mission and they know it and they each have a big chip on their shoulder a big reason for going in uh, uh, a maybe reason for not coming back out. And I think that's like a big part of the movie. I think that's like a big, I think that's mixed up big time in what the movie is really about. And since we don't really do spoilers on the show, I can't, we can't really go into much more detail on it, but I definitely think it's a movie that is worth rewatching and dissecting and talking about over time. And yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you. It's something that people should see in the theaters, but I mean, it's also kind of exciting that like it's going to come to Netflix pretty soon, so <laughs> uh, everyone can rewatch it. Yeah, very soon. Yeah, the so. layers are there um, to diagnose and talk about um, after you've seen the whole film, and that's something Alice Garland does really well. Quick question: As far as directing goes, Ex Machina followed by Annihilation. Well, what do you like more? What do you think? Like. Like, I feel like Annihilation is far more complex than Ex Machina. And, 
Yeah. Mm. But but I think to me it feels like he pulls it off. I I felt like he pulled it off with just as much ease as Ex Machina. I'd say nearly. Um I think it has way it has higher peaks and some a little bit lower valleys, but like that's just kind of what you get with something that's more ambitious. Right. So my my friend Cow, he likes to like he was a big fan of both Ex Machina and Annihilation. He likes to do the SAT question of like Ex Machina is to Annihilation as Primer is to Upstream Color. Are you guys familiar with those movies? Yeah, I know Upstream Color. I haven't seen Upstream Color. I've seen Primer, but like, like Primer and Ex Machina are both straightforward, like grounded in reality. Rules exist. Like this is what is happening. Sci-fi movies. Yeah. While Upstream Color and Annihilation are both abstract, full of symbolism. Like, you know, take what you get out of it. Like, you know, you put in what you get out, figure it out, beautifully stylistic type of movies. That's a really good comparison. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's a really fun comparison because I definitely like both Upstream Color and Primer a lot, too. So, uh, shout out to Cow for that comparison. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so that is Annihilation. That's probably leaving the theaters very soon. So you'll probably have to check it out on Netflix or on Blu-ray or DVD when it comes out. Um, So that pretty much wraps up for our reviews of the show. Real quick, we're going to go through some upcoming movies that we're excited about that we're maybe going to talk about for our next episode. So, uh, Brandon, what's the first one we're excited about? So the first movie is Isle of Dogs. It comes out March 23rd. This is the new Wes Anderson film. Um, everything he touches is gold, and so I expect this movie to be nonetheless. It's stop animation, just like Fantastic Mr. Fox was several films ago in his filmography, and I am super excited about it. Cool. Um, that should be in theaters very shortly. Um, I'm really excited about Ready Player One. It's the new Steven Spielberg film. I, I know this movie is getting mixed uh, reactions already. I think a lot of that has to do with the nostalgia factor. This movie plays deeply into sci-fi and the past. You know, making video games out of the things that you love. And um, for me, I'm just, I'm all about Steven Spielberg. He's made over 30 films. You know, over half of them are classics. So, um, you know, he's one of the best directors of our time. And uh, it's it's going to be one of his last really innovative films. So it's something to look forward to. I'm really looking forward to A Quiet Place. It comes out April 6th. It's directed by John Krasinski. This is a, a big concept horror movie that the studios are really pushing, like, big time. Like, this feels like a big blockbuster movie that's coming out. And it's this this little horror movie about a family that has to survive by being completely silent. If you make any noise, you're hunted by some sort of monster. I mean, they've really, outside of that, amount of plot they've really kept everything about this movie pretty under wraps and yeah it just looks really cool and they're hyping it up a lot so i'm really this is like my most anticipated movie of the year right now even over avengers uh, at least until i see it 
So, yeah. Oh, another movie I'm really looking forward to is this film called Zama. It is an Argentinian film. Uh, it takes place in like the 1800s. Uh, period piece, Spanish language film. Um, I don't know much about it except for it was ranked as number four on Sight and Sounds list in 2017. Um, but it's getting its official uh, release here in the States um, April 13th. So I'm pretty stoked for that. It's going to be great. Uh, another movie we're excited about is you were never really here starring joaquin phoenix it's directed by it's lynn ramsey uh her last film well actually it might not have been her last film but she's really known for there's something about kevin what number was it you said this was on sight and sounds list last year yeah number 12 number 12 yeah we're just really excited about it it looks uh really great it's good to have joaquin phoenix back making bunch of good movies again and it looks like it's a similar plot to like taxi driver maybe an updated version um it's a man saves a little girl from uh prostitution and kind of goes on some sort of a killing spree yeah i'm just really excited to check it out it looks pretty looks like it's shot really cool and uh should be a awesome movie great um obviously i'm really excited about avengers infinity war uh, that comes out April 27th. Uh, basically, it's the thing that the whole MCU has been building up for. Thanos is coming, and they gotta fight him off. Let's hope that Thanos is as good of a villain as Black Panther. And the last film we're looking forward to this year is another movie left over from 2017 that's finally getting its release in the States. Um, April 27th, it's called Let the Sunshine In. Um, this is a French film, and it was on a bunch of end-of-the-year lists last year, number 19 on Sight and Sound, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. Excellent. So uh, that's the end of our March episode. Like I said, this will be uh, a monthly podcast. This is the monthly movie dispatch, so we're going to be doing this every month, talking about our favorite movies and what you should watch. Hey, Brandon, where can we find you else online? Um, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Brandon underscore Bulby, and you can find me on Letterboxd uh, at Beb. Derek, what about you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at Chicken Tack. I'm also temporarily, for now, back on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Chicken Tack, and I'm still streaming quite a bit on Mixer uh, at Chicken Tack. Yeah, I'm Nick Moffat, and you can find me at Mothman23 on Twitter. And I'm very active on Letterboxd, trying to do more written reviews on there. Uh, uh, Nick Moffat, you can find me. And uh, follow my spring cleaning movie project on YouTube. Um, my channel is Nicholas Moffat. So, um, yeah, this is the Monthly Movie Dispatch. Um, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.